0: If you have your Bibles, there's going to be a couple of places that we're going to end up going. Uh, You're welcome to find your way to those spots. We're going to be in Romans chapter 1. We're very quickly in Matthew 6, then Revelations 3, and then we're going to finish on Ephesians 1. If you don't remember all that, it's in your talk notes in front of you. Uh, And so, uh, I, I have this running theory about television shows uh, that usually they're not as good as they can be in their first couple seasons. Uh, that that it typically will take a good show about a month or two uh, to kind of find their rhythm. And, and really, any time before that, what what the writers or the directors or the characters are doing is they're taking pieces of things that they have previously seen work, and they say, let's try to do that, And but let's put our own... Uh, spin on it, and and so you, what that usually means for me is I'm willing to give a show, you know, like three seasons, four, okay, maybe the whole time, even if it's a bad show. Um, but, but I find that that practice, uh, when I look back on the time that we've been allowed to be merged, uh, I, I found a lot of that to be true as well, that it took us a couple of years to kind of find... Our voice uh, to kind of understand who we are, what we hope to be accomplishing for the glory of God, and and really anything before that was looking at places or other churches or other ministries and saying, hey, what are they doing? Uh, how can we kind of do a lot of that? Uh, and then uh, eventually put our own spin on it. and And, and again, it's, it's taken us years to get to a point where I feel that we've begun to discover. Our voice, but it's a lot like growing up uh that you know when you're eight years old you think you can take on the world and there's no problems ever again uh, and then when you're fifteen years old you're you realize how stupid you were at eight uh and then when you're twenty five you realize how stupid you were at fifteen right and then as you get older it, it you don't really uh become any more brilliant than you are in your than you were in your past you just realize there's different seasons and and so i think it's taken us years to to get to this point and i'm curious what happens in the next 10 years as we kind of look back on on our voice and the things that that matter to us uh, when it comes to how we interact as a as a biblical community with each other but then secondly uh with with our cities with our neighborhoods with our workplaces with with our families etc and for me discovering our voice has has affected uh, how, how we lead here, how I pastor here, how I serve here. Um, and, and I think uh, this affects the things that I want us spending time focusing on and uh, things I, I hope that we just try to avoid not doing uh, and where we invest our influence, where our, we invest resources as we serve people who we pray will, will eventually find their life in, in Christ Jesus uh, and, and as I've grown up, as uh, as we've grown up as a church, this has greatly changed how I pray for us and, and how I uh, gauge what makes us uh, successful. And, and what is interesting, I was thinking about this recently. What has come out of this uh, thought is is a very simple prayer uh, that that I pray for us, and I pray that you would pray with me uh, about it for us that. Uh, not that, and it really has nothing to do with us being the biggest or the coolest uh body of believers with the wittiest sermon series or the wackiest Sundays uh, Lacey get it under control um, so. but my my prayer and my thoughts have become more navigated not by what we do but rather who we are uh, and, and what I pray is that we would be a people who understand who we are in Christ. That, that would be our foremost thought. That, that I would know who I am in Christ because that knowledge is ever-increasing. It's ever increasing. I'm always growing up. I will never get to this point where I say, you know, I fully get it now, who I am in Christ. That, that and so, my prayer is that we would know that, and that our response of our knowledge of who we are in Christ uh, would would reflect to our God for what He has done to redeem us, and that would be part of the everyday movement of our lives. Uh, and so, so, so that would be that we would be a people who understand. That, that worship has very little to do, as strange as this may sound, uh, with, with service times. Uh, and that, that worship has everything to do with the beating of our hearts. Uh, that, that, that we would understand that God has given us the most when we deserved it the least. And, and so, so in short, my, my, great, my greatest prayer is that our church would understand that worship is, is more than a simple song. Uh, that, uh, that, that that it's a life that's lived on purpose. And the only way a church collectively lives in worship is when the people of that church privately live in worship. And so, so I, I say all of that to say these next few weeks, this is what I want us uh, to prayerfully center in on. Uh, that we would understand that our private moments of worship lead to corporate moments of worship. And so uh, that, that's kind of what we're going to do as we talk about the role of worship in our lives as we respond to God's great love. And so let's pray and then we'll get, we'll get going here. Father, we come to you and we thank you that we get to speak to you. We thank you that we have access to walk into your throne room of grace because of your Son, that, that we get to, to give you not only our petitions, but also our praise. And I pray this morning, as, as we start talking about the topic of, of a lifestyle of worship, that we would be very mindful of all that you do for us, and the ways that you care for us. Father, we invite your Holy Spirit here this morning to speak to us, and we pray that we would have ears to hear and the courage to do something about it. We love you. It's in Jesus' name, And everyone said, I mean, that was a good amen. That sounded like almost growing up. And so, um, uh, so, so, as I use a big word, worship, uh, it won't really do us much good spending time talking about it if we don't have a collective or a general understanding for what I mean when I, when I use the word Worship, and we can have differing views on the vastness of this word. Some will think it worship is uh, the, the place that you arrive to and the thing that you do on Sunday mornings. Some will say, well, I 'm more actively engaged in, in worship when uh, the instruments are singing uh, are playing and the people are singing. Some will say, "Well, we really just worship when we open up god's word." Uh, and we are being taught, or we are trying to to engage the word, and and, and some will call. Um, but, but I think actually, I should say it's much larger than this. And so so for our for the next few weeks, I want us to use this definition over and over again, uh, just as a basis. And uh, and and simply this: when we talk about worship, what we're saying is worship is our response. To what we value most, okay and that 's not even a churchy answer, is it? Worship is our response uh, to what we value most. last well, time, I think I have that on the screen right um, and so so what we value the most fuels our actions right it, it becomes the driving force in, in what we do. And really, really, whatever we are valuing most consumes us. Our our time, our energies, our thoughts. And, and we see this extreme played out in... Um, when, when some people's paths cross celebrities. Have you ever watched a person faint because their celebrity is walking past them? Right? Have you ever, have you ever paid attention to some of the extremes we go to when... Um, when our favorite sports team and when we 're going to the game you ever, you're like nutty kind of stuff like uh, unless you were a true fan right and then it just makes complete sense um, Have you ever heard of how marriages struggle when when one of the spouses put career over the relationship of the marriage have have you ever uh seen the effects of relationships when when values shift from where they once were towards a different set of goals and so so since our our worship fuels our actions it will take us somewhere okay now, now track with me here uh, because our worship fuels our actions it's going to take us to a destination it's going to take us somewhere and our worship will always drive us to an altar okay and at, at Where we we bend knee and we give our time and we give our efforts and we give our joys and we give our fears. And and here's what we know, even if we don't say it exactly like this. Because everybody worships, which is what we're going to talk about that here in a moment. Because everybody worships, everybody has an altar. And every altar has a throne. There's someone or something that rests on that throne. And so, so one of the questions we must constantly be asking is, who's on the throne at my altar? Who's on the throne at my altar? Because once we answer this question, another one immediately has to be asked, being, is the object of my worship truly worthy of the affection that I'm giving? I'll say it again because that sounded really smart, right? Is the object of my worship truly worthy of of the affection that I'm giving. Now, now let, me, let me give you the answer, lest we be confused about it. If you find yourself looking at a throne uh, and, and something or someone other than God is not sitting on it, then the Bible leads us to a very interesting conclusion. He says you have an idol issue. He says you are worshiping an idol, and, and your idolatry leads you to a sin issue. And what is painful to realize is that your sin issue is actually fueling your idol issue. It's it's a vicious cycle that's hard to break. But Jesus has come to redeem. But we don't we haven't uh, created or discovered this dysfunction. That should let us breathe a little easier today, right? Uh, we we are not the first people to have this issue going on. In fact. We see this played out almost on every page of the Bible. Uh, And and there's a lot of spots we can go to, but I think one is really uh, particularly helpful this morning uh, in Romans chapter 1. Paul is going to be talking, and he's right out of the gate. He, He says this in verse 18. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Okay, so God reveals himself to us, and he does it plainly. Verse 20, But his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been Clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So you say, God, I didn't you can't get to the end of your life and say, Well, God, I didn't know. I didn't know what you were talking about here. He says, the invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature has been clearly perceived. Verse 21, for although they knew God, and now here's where the issue comes in. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as a God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And verse 23 is powerful. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. It's idolatry. They took the image of God and they created a different idol. Therefore, now look look what happens here. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie And they worshipped and they served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, here's the thing. We bring this up, okay? Not to beat us down, we bring this up because it's so helpful to understand the state and the nature of, of our own hearts that this is what this is what has been brought into the equation and and we see this played out in every generation God God reveals himself his goodness his authority his power to such a point that that people are without excuse in how to respond properly to him and yet we still refuse to and and so so they refuse to honor or give thanks but but they still worship we still worship and that worship drives them to an altar and where they place on their throne images that aren't god and so paul says the result of this action is god's willingness to turn them over to themselves he does this all the time with them he does this all the time with the israelites he'll say hey if you want my blessing then you render your heart to me but if you don't want my blessing," I'll let you see how quickly you can sabotage your own life. And eventually what that does is it draws and drives people back to him. And so, so Paul says that god's, in God's willingness he's to not compete because he refuses to, uh, since he's, he's that secure in his nature, he refuses to not share time with lesser gods and he's not interested in partial custody. Do you realize that this morning? That God is not interested in partial custody for your heart. He isn't. He says, "I'm a jealous God," and He's jealous because He's the only fitting, um, fitting one who can restore what is broken in you. And He says, "I don't, I don't want to share you with anybody else." And so He, in His patience, allows man to exchange this great truth about Himself for a lie resulting in the worship of false idols and empty wells. And, and, and though God is long-suffering, the Bible says He's not long-suffering forever. That one day He will send His Son back uh, for, for eternal judgment, who will rightly judge the hearts of man. And now here's what's important, that Paul tells us that, that should you for some reason choose not to give God what He desires, you will worship anyways. Simply exchanging the Creator for something He's created. Every everybody has an altar, and every altar has a throne. And the bounce, uh, this bounce in between, this, this divided heart creates a major problem, right? Because uh, we, we form this tendency of alternating gods on our throne to fit our desires for the moment or the season, right? And, and so so, so, there may be gods on the throne, but it 's not the true, and the holy God our Father. Jesus is very honest about how we can discover if we are worshipping the creature or the creator and i love it I love it when the Bible simplifies our lives against our own desire, really, because what we want is it to be so overly complicated that that we say well i don't know what to do about this, but really Jesus says if you 're wondering where your worship is following he says this uh, in, in Matthew chapter 6 verse 21 he says for where your treasure is there your heart will also be will be also for where your treasure is there your heart will be also and this is helpful because if we find ourselves placing our hope and our security in many things whether it be in our job our savings our spouse our kids our relationships our hobbies, or all of those things at all times, then we know for a fact that we are dealing with idolatry in our own hearts. And idols cannot sit on a throne reserved solely for God. They can't, because they, they're not strong enough. They can't. And So, so, so here's another question, that, that if worship is our response to what we value most, how can we direct our worship properly? Because everybody praises what they love. And improperly and, and, and directed worship is dangerous and it's <laughs> deadly, not only because it insults God, but also because it insulates our hearts from the delight we were created to revel in. Mainly, mainly the fact that we bring nothing of value before God, but out of His great love, He, he sends Jesus as our Savior. So, so how can we live in a way where we are worshiping at an altar where God is on the throne. And the answer is going to be we follow the path of the desperation of our lives. So number two in your talk notes, desperation is the fuel for worship. And that's not even churchy either. That, that worship is our response to what we value wor- most. We, we worship what we value because we believe in return or, or it will bring us value. It will bring us work, okay? and that's why it's so interesting to me when we see this played out like in the sports arena, like do you realize that when the cowboys lose a game, none of them are thinking about you, and yet you yell at your kids because the cowboys lost a game right and so 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 for the believer, we must constantly be asking, am I desperately needing God to move in my life? Because only He can bring the most joy, the most fulfillment, the most freedom. Is that the pursuit? It, it, it's this lack of desperation that's plaguing the church. And and the result is simply lukewarm Christianity. It's, it's people who, who have... I'm saved, but really it's more of a hobby than anything else in my life. And it's dangerous and it's deadly. And again, this isn't new. We haven't created this tendency, but we also certainly haven't learned from those who have gone before us either. We can go to Revelations uh, chapter 3. He says this. There's a couple letters that are written at the beginning of of Revelation, and and perhaps this is familiar to you. It says to the angel of the church in uh, Laodicea, Write this, okay, so, so God is writing a letter to a church, which is crazy awesome. But he says this, the words of the Amen, the, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot, would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I I will spit you out of my mouth. For for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And and so like I said, perhaps this is a familiar verse anytime you want to talk about lukewarm christianity rarely do we want to use this verse on ourselves we want to use it for other people because it makes us feel better if we're better than other people right no just me gotcha so verse 17 says says for you say i am rich and i have prospered and i need nothing and if this isn't the description of the american way i don't know if we can find a more fitting set of verses and, and when it comes to the church, we too can be found guilty of such an indictment that, that our belief in our self-sufficiency zaps our desperation, just removes it, which, which leads us to this lukewarm approach to worshiping God. And what God says is, I want no part of that. Because I don't, I don't want to play games with that. Now hear me, I, I, I love the church, and I don't mean to be mean but sometimes the harder words are the best words to hear. And, and not just globally, but here with these doors. That, that there are too many of us who are fooling around if we think that, that coming here uh, between 10.30 and, and 11.45 on Sundays uh, and, and getting our Jesus on, right? Um, that, that, that then we leave and we don't respond again to the glory of the gospel again until next Sunday. We're fooling ourselves if we think that's all that Jesus came to do. We're fooling it. Yeah, that, that, what, what a small God you must serve if he can be dethroned six days a week. Or seven, depending on what our kids are doing during the weekend. And, and the answer to our worship issue is found in the last half of verse 17. This is going to sound weird at first, but, but stick with me. He says, you know, you are rich and you are well fed and you are prosperous. And he says, but you don't realize that you are wretched and pitiable, poor, blind and naked. And all of God's people said, Amen. Right? Desperation is the fuel for our worship. And so we respond to God in joy because we are constantly aware of how wretched we are. Because of sin and how his love for us in Christ cleanses us. To how appreciative we are of the world of Christ, we remember how pitiable uh, we are in sin, but Christ has adopted us as sons and daughters in God's family, how poor we are, uh, but Christ has made us heirs to immeasurable riches in God, how we were blind, but Jesus heals us, how we were naked, but God has clothed us because we are children, and He loves us. We are His. And, and so, so we should live desperate, not that we would lose any of that. And I think that's what, when we think of desperation in our relationship with God, the desperation is, will I lose what He has given me? And you don't. It's that you become desperate for more and more and more, and you understand more and more your rightful place in the kingdom of the story of God. And you say, I'm desperate to see you pour out your glory in all places, in all ways. And I pray that you would use me to do so. So so what we're talking about when it comes to worship, that number three, true and pure worship is our response to the greatness of God. Now, that's a churchy answer, I guess. That true and pure worship is our response to, To the greatness of God. He's done so much to rescue you. And to redeem you. And he's gone to great lengths to bring us not only forgiveness but life. And he sustains us by his will. And he cares for us intimately. And how we respond is primarily in proportion to our view of him. Okay, So so if, if God is small in our eyes. You will respond to him with small and insignificant worship. That, that you'll give him a token Sunday or, or you'll give him a random act of kindness and then you'll look at him like, see what I did? Yeah, you're welcome, right? Or you'll, you'll pray very small and insignificant prayers that really don't mean much and really wouldn't take you much to accomplish on your own if you just put in some effort. That you would create a God that fits just big enough to be in your pocket and then when you need him, you pull them out. And you say, do something magical. And you realize that's not a god, that's a genie. And then you realize genies don't exist. Okay? You with me? Alan's playing Aladdin. The genie's not real, it's just another student. Okay? Alright? right. But if our God is large in our eyes and in our hearts you respond to him in large and desperate acts of worship. It's a, it's a heart that beats with his desire for proclaiming the gospel. It's standing in, in moments of corporate worship, and a word or a line just, just undoes you. Not destroys you, just, just un, it just opens you up. And you're like, I'm I'm raw in that moment. It's thinking about His goodness and His mercies and saying, I don't deserve it. But saying, I I don't want to take a breath apart from it again. It's understanding who we are and what we've been created to do. The the, The end of your life shouldn't end with the story of you. If people get up And they're talking at your funeral and they say, well, you know, he was a hard worker and he worked hard and he went to work every day. That's not a legacy. And if the best things they can say was that he was a loving father or a loving mother or a loving husband or a loving wife, that's not really a legacy worth repeating past the story of you. And so our worship becomes this fuel of the desperation of our lives. And so really, I guess a good question to ask is, what am I desperate for? What's moving me? Because some of us will think that the end of our day is about whatever role we played in our career. And I hope you understand, God gives you that career to make a difference for His glory. So let's let's start wrapping this up, fine. Stop writing, okay? I said I said earlier that, that that my prayer is that our church would understand that worship is more than a song, that that worship is a life that is lived on purpose with urgency. That that we would merely respond to the greatness of God with our lives. And the only way, the only way a church collectively lives in worship, which I think is at least that's what I think churches want to do. Right? I think if we polled all the churches in Hazel and we said, Hey, do y'all want to be people who worship God? We're like, well, yeah, that makes sense. But but the only way a church collectively lives in worship is when its people privately live lives of worship that gives us our, our last blank. So so how does your individual journey affect us when we meet here? Trying to get out of here as quickly as possible. As quickly like hey, ways, get me out of here. Number 4. Number 4, private worship builds anticipation. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Private worship builds anticipation for times of corporate worship. That's the way it works. As as you pursue the heart of God during the week, and as He transforms you personally, your joy for making Him known increases. Your joy found in Him becomes especially sweeter when you're surrounded with other believers. Like, like, this has been kind of an ongoing discussion uh, these last couple of weeks because we had a group of guys that uh, left and they went to the Hills Conference. Uh, and, and they came back mar- remarking about how cool it was to gather with a whole bunch of men in song together. And then a couple of weeks later, we had a group of ladies, uh, both a group went to uh, the IF gathering, and then uh, a group went to Kelly's house uh, to watch the IF gathering. And they remarked about how special it was when our hearts are set right in a room full of people whose hearts are desperate for God to move. And so, I've always made, the last couple of years, I, I changed this. And I've always it changed the way I viewed Sunday mornings. Because I used to think that the Sunday, Wednesday, dynamic was was like going to church to refuel like i'm empty i got no gas i need more gas to get me through the next couple days and so we've created this system where you go to church on a sunday and you think well i need to fill up then you're like well i got enough gas to get me to wednesday then i need to fill up again saturday i'm not doing anything so it doesn't matter i don't have to go anywhere then you get back to Sunday and you refuel, refuel, refuel. And here's the thing, that's not the way it's supposed to work. You realize that? that? That God doesn't just fill you up on Sundays and Wednesdays if you make it to the church. That the intention is that you are continually being filled so you are continually overflowing the goodness and the greatness of God. And so when we get here on a Sunday, it's not about, did I show up? It's that I come here ready to engage the Father with everybody else who has showed up. Remember Beth Moore in, in two two thousand, we're at a, we're at a conference and she says, she's telling us to open up uh, the Word of God and we're in Second Timothy and she says, my question is, did you come today to inhale this Word? And I think we can be guilty at times of coming in on a Sunday. Not ready to inhale the word. Not ready to celebrate the goodness of God. And some of us come here just because it's Sunday. It's what we do on Sundays. that we should sing in songs of praise to Him and we should clap our hands for Him and we should lift our arms to Him not because we're getting warmed up for the teaching part but rather because we've spent time in the Word this week and we see how great He is and how worthy of praise He is and how desperate we are for him that that kind of worship transcends song styles and instruments and singing levels that that kind of worship opens up when the word shows up and the holy spirit speaks to you but he's not telling you the same thing that I just said because God's doing incredible things in your life for a purpose this is the kind of church I pray we will continue to become but that only happens if we are willing and determined to become people of worship. So I want to leave you this morning with a prayer of Paul's that that I pray frequently over us. It's found in, in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul is one of the best prayers uh, in the Bible. It says this, It says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love toward All the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers that that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that He may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what you are. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ Jesus when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above, this is where Jesus is, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the ages to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him His head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. And my prayer is that God would open the eyes of our hearts to see who Jesus is. That we would be a people willing to engage in the Word and in prayer and in song, not just here, but every day. That the gospel would shape how we raise our kids. The gospel would shape how we are as employers, as employees. That the gospel would shape how we deal with the wounds of our past the gospel would shape the conflicts we have in our future. Our desire this week is to love God. by. Please stand with me. As we wrap up, let me make a couple things available. If you need prayer this morning, we long to pray with you. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, we, we believe firmly He is the only way to have a restored relationship with God. And maybe you find yourself today and you say, today is the day I'd like to take that step. We want to walk with you there. And you say, well maybe today is the day I just have some questions. We want to help answer the questions we can help answer. And my hope today is that these words in this time is not wasted. That we're able to come back next week not saying I'm ready to refill, but that we would be able to gather together and sing and praise and worship through song and word and service the goodness and the greatness of our God. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you that you love us and you care for us. And I pray that we would respond with our lives to your goodness.